Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Good roots. We're talking about the the, the good roots of the local church today. We started last week in discussing the local church and the importance of it, and we're going to dive into that again this week. And um, if you want to begin to serve in your local church and invest in your local church, there are two opportunities available right now for you. One is eKids Junior, which is uh, we're looking for teachers and helpers, uh, grades kindergarten through two. Teachers and helpers for grades kindergarten through two at the 10.30 hour. Uh, We've already picked up, I think, two, so we need maybe four more folks, okay? So if that is you and you have a heart's desire to work with children, you love kids, right? Uh, Maybe you're not so interested in the teaching part, but uh, you'd be happy to do the helping part. Uh, We need both, okay? So we need two helpers and two teachers, Uh, You will need to um, uh, fill out a a background check. We do a nationwide background check, and you need to be a member of a manual in good standing for the last six months. If you've been here for three or four months as a member, I want to encourage you to register anyways if you want to serve, and that way we have your name right there. Uh, We can send you the background check information, and then when you hit that six-month mark, uh, you can begin serving with our children's ministry. We can even begin to train you in that uh, and assist you in that. And by the way, if you decide, hey, I, I want to I do this, but I'm not entirely 100% sure, you can, you can come on a probationary basis. You can say, hey, I want to I commit to three months to figure out if this is where God wants me to serve or not. And there's no pressure. If you're at the end of your three months, you say, yeah, I just found out that I only like my kids. Um, then you're free. You're free to go. Uh, but if you work those three months and, you're, and you see that God has really gifted you for working with children and you're finding great joy, you found your place to serve your local church. And I think that's awesome. That's often how I did things here at Emmanuel. Like I said, I've been here since I was 16. I started serving in our kids' ministry. And I thought I hated kids but my girlfriend was serving. And that's always a good reason to serve in a certain ministry, is if your girlfriend is serving in that ministry, you know, it's like a date with little kids running around. Uh, I'm mostly joking there, except for the part about Trish was serving in Awana, and I'm like, well, I'm going to give that a shot. And I found out that I was gifted in teaching. matter of fact, I think that was my very first teaching, preaching post was to children, uh, in kindergarten to second grade, I remember getting up for my very first large group time, and my knees were shaking. I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. I was terrified to preach or teach to kindergarten through second graders, uh, but it, it went really well, and the kids resonated with me, and, and that began a, a, a number of years working with children. From there, we went into junior high, because we figured... There was a need, and we quickly found out that we were not gifted for junior high kids. Um, We hated them. They hated us. Hate's a strong word, but junior high takes a special kind of crazy to serve in. Um, So we thank God we have junior high workers here at our church. It wasn't for us, so we moved on from there. Anyways... This is a great way for you to find your place, to find out where your gifts are at, to find out where your joy will come in serving. And then, um, so you can text eKids to 603-668-6473. If you'd like to serve in our eKids nursery, I mentioned last week that we really need a number of people to jump into that 
into that battle serving newborns to three-year-olds, you text NURSERY to 603-668-6473. Same deal as serving an e-kids background check, six months in, in, in good standing of membership. Um, but if you've been here for three or four, you can still register, and Diane Chamberlain will take you and begin to work with you until we're ready to leave you there. What did I say? I said Diane Chamberlain. She could do it. She could do it too. She could do it too. They both led our nursery ministry, right? Um, anyways, thank you for the correction. Diane, one of the Dianes will work with you. Uh, and you will never be alone. We don't have um, adults alone with kids. So that is the opportunities available right now. I want you to be praying for our Be Blessed uh, weekend. Uh, leadership team's going to start discussing that, the day, the time, the all of the different things that go with it. If you're new to our church, we do a cookout and we invite the community and it's a great time of fellowship and just kind of letting your hair down and catching your breath from a really tough couple of years. And it's a celebration of Emmanuel and what God has done here. So please keep that in prayer. On to good roots. We are going to be reading from Psalm chapter 27, uh, Psalm 84, and 1 Timothy chapter number... Three this morning to get started. This is on the Bible app. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app and you go over to the menu, scroll down a little bit and you'll see events and then you can click on Emmanuel and the scriptures will be right there for you. If you have an account, you can take notes and you can save the sermon. So um, it, it should be there. I checked it this morning. It was on my phone, so I'm thankful for that. Anyways, let's take a look. I'm talking about the local church. Um, good Roots. Last week, we learned that Jesus founded the church while he was on earth. He looked at his disciples and he said, On this rock, I will found my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And what we learned there was that death cannot defeat the local church. Because those who have come to Christ for their, for their salvation, for God to be their personal Savior, we live on eternally, and we will gather one day with all those who have trusted Christ at the rapture of the church. That's the gathering of the universal church. And until that time, the universal church is represented by local churches. And we learned something else. We, we learned that when, when Jesus was looking at Peter and he was talking to that early church, he said, you hold, I'm going to paraphrase here, you hold the keys to the kingdom. You hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And from there, we, we, we looked at how he spoke with the Pharisees and, and how they, they had the keys of the kingdom of God. They had the keys of heaven in their hands and they didn't use them for themselves, the word of God, and they didn't allow others to use them. They prevented others from coming in to the kingdom of heaven. And those keys have shifted to the church now. We have the keys. And so that left us with a question, what are you doing with the keys that are in your hand? You have the keys of the kingdom. Are you using them? Are you sharing them? Are you opening the door for others to come in to the family of God? If you're not, you're in disobedience to God. And we saw how God felt about those who had the keys of the kingdom and didn't use them to usher others in. We have a dreadful responsibility. We, we have a terrifying responsibility. We are responsible to open the door of the kingdom for those that don't yet know Christ. And I think sometimes we come to Christ and we are saved and, and we know that we have a home in heaven and we get so caught up in this temporary life and God, listen, he, I think he expects us to enjoy our lives down here. God loves to give us gifts. I have a wonderful family. I enjoy sports. I love to read. I love to paint and draw. 
But when those things creep up and take priority over sharing the keys of the kingdom, we're going to be held responsible for that one day. You're going to be held responsible one day for what you did with your life while you were on earth. And when I first answered the call to preach and the call to ministry, God burdened my heart, and and this was one of the things that, that He burdened me with, get my people ready for the judgment seat of Christ. It's not where you're going to be judged for your sin. Okay, You're not going to be judged for your sin. Jesus was judged for your sin if you've trusted Him as your Savior. You're going to be judged for your works. What are you doing with the keys? And I think it's, it's, such a, it's such a serious thing that I don't want you to walk away from here forgetting that. In fact, James warns us not to look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of the living God, and see what's wrong or see where there's disobedience and then being a forgetful hearer walks away forgetting what he saw and making no effort or uh, change of direction. So last week, everyone who was here, all of us, including me, we were all challenged. What are we doing with the keys of the kingdom? Are you inviting people to come to church? Are you leaving invitations where people can find them? Are you praying for people to come to Christ? Is there a name on your heart, on your mind? Have been praying for that person? Have you been sensitive to divine appointments with that person? We have the keys of the kingdom. We really sussed that out last week. Now this morning I said we'll be in Psalm chapter 27 verse 4. Let's just read one verse. One thing I've desired of the Lord. One thing. That I seek. That I will seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at His temple. We're going to speak to the heart this morning about what we think about and how we feel about the Lord and His church. Hear what he said. Man, my, my biggest desire is to be with the Lord, to dwell in His house, to behold His beauty, and to inquire at His temple. And then in 84, verse 1, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And they pass through the valley of Baca, and they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. And they go strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. One day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. These things I write unto you, 1 Timothy now. These things I write unto you, though I hope to come to you shortly. So we've read two psalms, portions of two psalms, and now we're into a letter. A letter to a pastor. Instructions to a pastor. This pastor's name is Timothy, and the instructor is his mentor, Paul. Paul the Apostle. He said, these things I write to you, though I'm, I hope to get there shortly. Um, going from city to city wasn't as easy as it is today when they were writing this. So he says, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, 
believed on in the world, received up into glory. I want you to notice something in the previous verse. You look at the word church, which is the church of the living God. Notice it's not capitalized. All throughout the New Testament, we see the word church, about, a church used about 110 times. And there are people that call themselves Christians, and I won't judge their Christianity or, or whether they're saved or not. I mean, whether or not they've received Christ as their personal Savior and have a home in heaven. But there are people who are leading others astray by belittling the local church. Leading others astray by saying, uh, God is my pastor. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a church. I, I meet wherever, wherever I want to. And yet, in the New Testament, out of those 110 times, only 15 times was the word church used for the universal church. The rest of it was used for the local church, which we should all be long to. Well, I'm glad you have your apps today. So let's talk about the house, the house of the Lord. And, and, and as, we, as we read that passage, I briefly said this. We're going to look at what our, what our attitude is. What our attitude is. What is your attitude about the house of the Lord? What is your attitude about the house of the Lord? I find that when I'm not right with God, when I'm not right with God, coming to church is drudgery. Serving God in ministry is boring. Anybody ever feel that way? Don't all raise your hands at once. I see Pam being honest. Thanks. Yes. It's usually when I'm not right with God. If it's not that, if it's not when I'm not right with God, then it's this. I'm in the wrong place. I'm serving in the wrong place. So I mentioned that I've served in a lot of places in our church and served in almost every ministry in the local church. And there was a time where I was the lead worship guy and I was a choir director and we had a phenomenal choir, 50 or more people strong. And I would come to choir practice at 4.30 every single Saturday afternoon or 5.30, depending on the season. And it was awesome. And I was serving as a deacon and uh, several other things. There was a time where I was serving in about five different ministries, working a full-time job. I didn't start pastoring full-time until 1999. And it was easy. Easy in a sense. I mean, there was effort that it took. But when you're doing something and you're in the place where God wants you to be and you have the right heart, He is serving with you. And there's joy in the serving. Well, it came along that the Lord was calling me into youth ministry. And so I started to become the youth pastor of our church while I was leading the worship ministry. And I was doing both, but my heart was divided where worship ministry used to be like the single passion in my heart, it was now split toward the, the youth of our church. And gradually to the point where, where serving in the worship ministry became a burden. Like I was walking with God, I was right with God, but I would show up at our rehearsals and I would be leading a new song or teaching what we're going to do that week and, and I would be sitting there going... When is this going to be over? It's bad enough when you have people in the ministry that you're leading saying, when is he going to be done? Right? Versus you're the one leading it and you're like checking your watch. Is this over yet so I can go work with my students? And so I realized at that time, this is not where I belong. This is not where I checked my heart because there are times when you're serving that it's hard. It is hard. Uh, and and you, can, you can be struggling in your personal life and it can be hard. But generally speaking, there should be joy in our service. And a burden came and it, was, it wouldn't go away. 
It wouldn't go away. I mean, I test the water, test the water. It wouldn't go away, wouldn't go away, wouldn't go away. It was consistent that it had become a burden that I was not supposed to bear. And so I passed the reins on to Brother uh, Ron Anstey. And uh, he took leadership of that ministry. And I devoted myself full-time to our student ministry. And that was one of the best, but close to the best five years of my life was working with our students. I love those kids. My wife and I, every single Saturday, every Saturday, not, uh, what was it, babe, seven to nine, we had student ministry. And we would play games, but we would also disciple. It wasn't just a game night. It wasn't just activities. It was discipleship and teaching and one-on-one. And most of the time, we're not, we weren't getting out of students until, what, like 10, sometimes 11, because we were staying after, ministering to the kids that needed some extra help, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Where is your heart at? Where is your heart at? <clears throat> do, you, do you have a heart to be in the house of the Lord? Is God beautiful to you? Is he beautiful to you? Did you read what the psalmist said? Like, this is my heart's desire. There's another sermon that's coming up talking about gazing on the beauty of the Lord. How many of us, when we think about God, just want to be with him? Well, when we come to our worship service, that's an expression of wanting to be with our Savior. That's an expression of our heart. How we come, the attitude that we have when we come into worship together, when we come to be the church, is reflective of what we think of our Father in heaven. Because the gathering is invaluable. Thanks, Cap. You could all hear them in the lobby. We can hear you in the lobby. Come and join us in the service. I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) Don't look now, everybody. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I don't think it was the gentleman walking in. Maybe there's an altercation out there. It's quiet now. We do have people in the lobby keeping security, by the way. Our, our church is very serious about protecting its, its members. So where was I? Gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. Desiring to join together in worship, in community. Recognizing the importance of coming together to worship God as a church. We need to learn to love the gathering of the Lord, the people and the place where we meet with one another and with God. And that's the first challenge to you, is what is your attitude when you come to the house of the Lord? What is your attitude when you come to the house of the Lord? Now we're going to move on to Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 29. I'm sorry, Acts chapter, there's no Acts chapter 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, this is the apostle Peter now, and he's going to be preaching this awesome message. He's wrapping it up now. Uh, you can go back and read chapter 2, see the full message. When, when Jesus, uh, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. So this is him explaining to the Jewish people that he's preaching to that we all know who King David is. In fact, we all know where King David is buried. And we can go and visit his tomb, and yet God said that he was going to have a seed, a son, in the future who would receive this eternal throne, this, this Christ, this anointed one. And foreseeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus 
God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which we now see and hear. This is the day of Pentecost. They're they're just amazed. Excuse me. The gospel is being preached and they're amazed. For God did not ascend, for David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And so what, David is, uh, what Peter is, is trying to correct is this impression that God was speaking about David. Oh, that God's talking about David. This isn't a prophecy. God's talking about David. And so Peter's clearing this up. He said, uh, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And friends, before we move on too far from where he says, you crucified, and we think that he's talking to the Jews only, this is all of us. The only reason Jesus went and died on the cross was because we were all sinners that needed a Savior. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Word of God is doing its job. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off. That's us. That's us. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. We could say the same thing all through the centuries. People who are camping out on this fact that we think the world is the worst than it's ever been, it may be, and yet it may not be. Ancient Rome wasn't really a sweet place to live, especially if you were a Christian in Nero's days. But the message is clear. All of the gifts that God has given man have been perverted. All of the gifts. That's what we do. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I want to thank God. We have Casey and Julian and Kayla who have come to, into fellowship with us, and, and Kayla got baptized to display her salvation to the church and to the world. And Casey too. And Casey came to Christ through Emmanuel right here. I think Kayla came to Christ before you came here, right? And so did Julian. But God has joined these two families, family one, family two, four, ten, just a bunch of kids, into our family. And I think sometimes church, sidebar, we're pretty good at welcoming new people, but we, we sometimes drop the ball as, as these people have joined us and need us to minister to them. We need to be more conscious of that. We need to welcome newer members into our family here, but into our families. We need to develop friendships and relationships. And Bible life circles are one of those ways that we do it. Ministry is another way that we do this. But it's something that's vitally important. It's not enough to be friendly when people walk through the door. That's why I encourage you to stay after service, to get to know someone that maybe you haven't talked with before. That's how the church becomes the church and not just does church on Sunday. Moving on. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and prayers, and fear came along upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It doesn't say through the 3,000 that came to Christ. It doesn't say to the 125 that that were in the upper room 
It says the apostles did the signs and the wonders. Now all who believed were together and had all things common. Sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple, the only place large enough to gather 3,000 people, and breaking bread from house to house in small groups, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We're going to talk this morning about the characteristics of a healthy church. The characteristics of a healthy church. It's what being the church is. A healthy church is not a building that's beautiful. But the people of that church work to keep it that way. Because it's God's property. I try to encourage my senior leadership team, when you're walking through the building and you see something on the floor, don't walk by it, pick it up. It's God's house, don't leave it a mess. And can I encourage all of you to do that? This isn't just Cindy's job, and Randy's job, and Donna's job, and Sandy's job. This is our place, this is God's place. We should be raising our children when you see a mess, clean it up. Now I know, kids at home, they don't always do that, do they? Sometimes I wonder, does the floor to your room look like a trash can to you? Does the floor of the car resemble a trash can? Because it's not really a trash can. I get it. But when they come into this place, this is a sacred place where we gather together to worship our God. And those that come in who have not yet come to Christ or who maybe are believers who are looking for a home, folks, we need to care for God's property and God's people. So what are the healthy characteristics of a, of a church that we can see in this passage that we just read? First of all, it's a gospel preaching and a gospel teaching church. When I was at Landmark, I, I planted a church and merged it with another church. I preached the gospel. Can I get an amen for that? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of all of the world so that those who will call upon him will be saved. Without the, listen, without the bad news of the fact that we're sinners uh, and that if we do not come to Christ, we'll have an eternity separated from God in hell. If you don't have the bad news, the good news is meaningless. There are no mountaintops without valleys. And I used to preach the gospel every week there the way I do here. And often I would do, devote whole sermons from the start to the beginning to the gospel. And I had an older lady, an elderly lady actually. It was actually the one that I spoke about before who was very upset with a visitor's short skirt. Who was sitting in her seat where she made a loud criticism. Oh my goodness. I can't believe how some people come to church today. Well, this same lady was irritated by the amount of times that I preached the gospel. I should tell you something about her. Praise God, that wasn't typical of the church. The church supported the preaching of the gospel. They were excited about the preaching of the gospel. They loved it when visitors came in and guests came in and heard the gospel and came to Christ. They were engaged in witnessing. They would take invitations with them. Whenever they left the church, they would take something with them. Most of them, I believe. And they would share it with someone during the week or they would leave it somewhere. We need to get to this place, Emmanuel. We have the keys of the kingdom. The Great Commission was in full effect in this church as we heard from Peter's preaching in verse 29 and through 38. They didn't pull punches with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Folks, there's no other way. 
a great percentage of people who call themselves Christians, <clears throat> according to Rasmussen polls and Pew polls, are convinced that Christianity is one of the ways to reach heaven. What Bible are they reading? They're not. What church are they attending? An unhealthy one. You say that's exclusive. So isn't most every other religion in the world. Of course it is. It's distinctive. It's the truth, not a truth, not my truth. Oh, it's my truth. I'm just living my truth. That is possibly the dumbest statement I've ever heard. I apologize to anybody that uses that statement, but there you go. Good luck with that. What happens if your truth is absolutely counter to somebody else's truth? Well, now what do you do? Well, you live your truth, I live my truth. Yeah, but we're in the same place, in the same space. How are we both going to live our truths? I don't know. How about you find out what the truth is, and then both of you embrace it. Characteristics of healthy church is preaching of the gospel without apology. It is doctrine or teaching of what the Word of God says on various different topics. Sound biblical doctrine. What does the Bible say should preside over all else in our lives, whether it's country or culture? What does the Bible say should supersede country and it should supersede culture. And before somebody whines about me not being a patriot, I am a patriot, and I love my country, or at least I love the ideals of my country. And my brothers both served in the military, and I support them 100%. But I am a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. And the country and the culture cannot belittle the Bible. And there are Christians today that say, well, the Bible was written so many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, it's not relevant for today. I, I would argue that today is not relevant for the Bible. It's an eternal book. God is an eternal God. That is to say, he sees the beginning from the end and everything in between. And there is nothing that surprises God. He knew exactly what was, what was going to happen in ancient Rome. He knows exactly what is happening in the United States. He knows what's happening in Europe. He knew what was going to happen in Russia and in the Ukraine. He knew World War II was coming. And yet he wrote his word, and it is an eternal word, and it is not subject to nations or cultures, countries, continents. It is the word of the living God, and it is steadfast, and it is sure. And if we bend anything, it should be our culture to the word. Now, Christians, we need to dig down deep into that. Because the culture that we're living in, no matter where you live, by the way, is often counter to the scripture. It just is. So we need to consider this and be prepared. We need to love our enemies. We need to love those that hate us, that despitefully use us. We need to love them. A hallmark of the early church, you want to talk about a healthy characteristic of church, was love for their enemies. Love for their enemies. The local church would embrace those who formerly had persecuted them, who were now subjects of, of persecution. They would welcome them in. They would feed them. They would care for them. They would love them. That was a hallmark of the early church, the first century church. I don't see a lot of that today. I don't see a lot of that today. Why? Because we've determined culture is more important than Scripture. And what I mean by that is, is we, we may not be flexing to the wickedness of the culture, but we are inflexible when it comes to loving those who have embraced the wickedness of the culture. Loving someone, caring for someone, helping someone does not mean that you embrace their beliefs. It means you're embracing your beliefs. 
And if they hate us and they persecute us, they're going to have to do it as they sear their consciences, recognizing how much we love them. Preach, brother. I'm going to do it. Fellowship. So we've got good preaching, gospel preaching. We've got good teaching, doctrine, sound doctrine. And we have loving those who are not like us, loving those who are lost, loving those who have embraced the culture instead of rejecting it. We, we have a, a heart for Jesus and the world that he created. And then we have fellowship as a church. Fellowship, something that we are going to continue to address as we look at our property and we determine better ways to use this property. We've hired an architect to look at all of our buildings and all of our properties, a firm that's going to help us determine the best way to use this place for ministry to our, our body here and maybe also, as we are already doing, ministry to our, our, our towns. And uh, one of the things that we desperately need is fellowship and spaces created for it. Places where you can sit down after service, have a cup of coffee, share your stories, love each other well. Healthy church is fellowship. It's a brotherhood, a sisterhood, it's a family. And our commonality is Christ. I fellowship with people who are of a different socioeconomic status than I am. Whether it's much higher than mine, much lower than mine, it doesn't matter because we both have Christ. I fellowship with people who have less education than I do and far greater education than I do. And how do we do it? We fellowship around Christ and what we have in common and our love for one another. Listen, the, the original sense of the word fellowship is not just coming together because we gather together with something in common, which is Christ, but it's also this. It is fellowship participation or participation fellowship. The idea of fellowship is not a passive thing that is done to you. And this is part of individuals' hang-ups. I come to church and nobody talks to me. Well, you are a passive fellowship. You are passive in your fellowship. You need to engage. You need to be a participant in fellowship. I get it. Emmanuel's 40-some years old. A lot of us have been here for 20 years or more. Sometimes it's difficult for a church to crack open its little shell and let people in, and hopefully you guys are over that by now. But fellowship is not passive. It's active. When you come in and you join into the body of Christ, you are to be contributing to that body of Christ with your fellowship. You should be coming in here, I love what Peter prayed, like we should be coming in here <clears throat> looking to bless someone before we leave. How many of you come to church and you think, I'm going to be a blessing today? I can't wait to see that sour, sad face so I can get in there and say, hey, how you doing? I want to pray for you. Or, hey, what's going on? I notice you're looking a little down. Everything okay? And then waiting for the answer. You're like, well, I'm afraid that I won't have an answer to them. You don't have to. Can I tell you, one of the things, and I'm going to say this because Nate gave his testimony here. My son suffered with severe anxiety, major depression, and suicide, suicidal ideation last year. More than ideation. He didn't attempt it, but it was close. And as we were going through that year, as a dad, what do you want to do as a dad? Fix it. I want to fix it. One of the hardest things that you can go through is to watch your child suffer. And you just want to fix it for them. Now add to you being a dad to, to being a pastor. <laughs> That's like being a double dad, man. I want to fix it, and I'm skilled in counseling, in teaching, and I have tremendous insight on human nature. God has gifted me. And so not only do I want to fix it as a dad, but I'm your spiritual father too, and I want to help. And earlier, you know, early on probably took me 
It took me several months, actually, before I figured this out. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix it. Probably next to the things we went through with Kirsten, this was the most difficult thing we've ever experienced last year. Couldn't fix it. I, try, I tried. I tried to counsel. I tried to. But when you're a dad, you don't want to hear it. He had an excellent counselor. Pastor Fred, Dr. Fred down the street. You know what he needed? What I discovered was the most successful thing that I could do for him, aside from watching him and making sure he didn't do anything stupid. And even that, let's be honest, after a while, you can only be vigilant for so long. Whatever's going to happen is probably going to happen. And then you just have to live with it. We were driving home from his school one day. It was at a particularly dangerous time, difficult time. And with his anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation also came a panic disorder. And he's doing so well. He's not in here. But I think he's, I know he's supportive of sharing his story because he wants to help others. He was having tics. He developed severe tics, full body ticks tied into his anxiety and maybe COVID, we don't know. Still has minor ones now, but he had them so bad at times he couldn't walk. We were in the ER five times in like three months, two months. Finally took him to Children's to figure all that out. And uh, so here we are. He's at school. I used to drive him to school because he was in Londonderry, driving to school. And instead of coming home, I would park in the Library parking lot, go grab Duncan's, and I would stay in Londonderry for two or three hours to wait for the phone call, which would come every day. And I would go administer a med and then wait. And this particular day, the attack was so bad that it, 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 he couldn't, couldn't continue. Um, he was medically withdrawn from the second semester of high school last year. Just to give you the idea of what Sometimes some people are going through. You might ask somebody, hey, how's it going? And they might say, I'm in hell right now. What do you do? What do you do? So we're driving home, and, and the attack is not subsiding. And he's ticking out, and he's hitting the door, and he's just... So I start trying to counsel him, because that's what you do. You counsel people when you're a pastor and a dad. And he taught me a great lesson. He said, you're... Not helping. I know. Which he did. This kid was, he investigated on his own. This, this kid is ridiculous. He, he would know all the different counters to anxiety, sensation, you name it. Redirection, everything. And I couldn't help him. He was so mad at, at that moment. He was so angry. You're not helping. And I was getting frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Because of this. It was great. And him and I are like, he's my buddy. But sometimes we are like too much alike. And uh, in that moment, it hit me so hard. He was right. And I just stopped. And not like an angsty person will stop. You know what I'm saying. Fine. Fine, I'm not helping. You're right, whatever. I'm not talking to you anymore. Anybody ever done that? Don't do that. Don't do that. So all I did was, you know what, Nate, you're right. I'm sorry. I just want you to know this. I love you. I don't, whatever you're going through, Nate, I love you. I will never stop loving you. And if I have to pick you up and carry you across the finish line, I will carry you. I just love you, buddy. You're safe with me. Let's go see mom. <laughs> That's always a 
Good idea. And he wanted his mom. So we went and saw Trish, and the rest of the day didn't go well. That was actually one of the worst days that we had. But gratefully, I learned that lesson when it got worse later that day, which was, I love you. Let's just go drive it. So what do you do when you come to fellowship? You, you participate. You, you're active, and, and you look to bless someone. And don't be afraid if they unload on you and you don't have the answer. You don't need the answer. They just need to know somebody can listen to them and loves them and will love them. And maybe you could make some suggestions. Hey, you really should talk to the pastor. Um, I, think, I think he might be able to help you with this. Yeah, of course, depending on what it is, I may recommend them out to counseling. We have two wonderful Bible counselors here in our church. I may recommend them to them. But fellowship is not passive, it's engaged. That's verse 42. 42, 46 through 47 is a healthy church worships together. Um, I don't envision Emmanuel ever becoming concert church. And, and God bless concert church. But we're not here to put on a show for you. As good as Angel and Melissa and Pam and Hannah and Donna and Ron are and, and Stephen, what a great opening to the battle belongs to the Lord's song. Um, they are not here to entertain you. They are here to worship with you and to lead you into worship. They are here to lead you into a connection with the Most High God. They are here to help us all reset God on the throne of our lives by reminding us of how awesome He is. Healthy churches worship together. Worship is not a burden. And you might say, well, I don't like the sound of that song. I don't like that music. Folks, I was a worship leader for, what, 10 years or something? There were a lot of songs I did that I didn't like. You don't have to like the song. Can I say that again? You don't have to like the song. You have to love the God that the song is singing about. Forget about your personal preferences. How about you focus on your personal Jesus and worship together? Bars, as Nate would say. Bars. This church prayed together. Hallmark of the early church should be ours. They prayed together, had time where they prayed. They bowed their head, they closed their eyes, or whatever they did. But they prayed together. They prayed. This church should be a praying church. Healthy churches pray. Healthy churches are generous. Extravagantly generous. How do you know? Dude, they saw needs and they sold stuff so they could meet those needs. No one in our church should have a legitimate need unfulfilled. And when I say legitimate, we don't enable people, but we do support people who are doing what they can to support themselves. I told you a while ago, we're setting up a benevolency fund for the members of our body. We have a Good Samaritan fund for both, outside and inside, and we just helped someone with their car this week. But a benevolency fund for the body of Christ. So that as, as the bottom falls out of the economy and people have to choose between groceries and gas and going to the church, there's going to be a fund established that we'll be able to help each other with. They gave extravagantly. Listen, are the gas prices impacting you? I can tell you by looking at our tithes and offerings that it's impacting giving. Gas prices are, they impact everything, everything. We need to be able to support each other. Now, there are some people who it wouldn't matter if it was a dollar a gallon or $10 a gallon. Their income level is so high that they're angry and irritated by the hike, which they should be but they won't have to change anything about their 
lifestyle. God has blessed those people to bless others. And there are people who if the price goes up a quarter or a dollar or two dollars, in some cases they're making some difficult decisions at home. And we need to be able to love one another and bless one another generously. A healthy church should be free of envy and jealousy. A healthy church has a simplicity of heart, a sincerity of heart. Did you read that with me when we were going through it? Unmixed, uncomplicated, and sincere is a hallmark of a healthy church. I loathe church politics. I was often asked to be a leader in this church. I don't remember if I ever intentionally sought leadership. I just knew that I was one. Folks, healthy churches, there's no jockeying for position. There's humility. There should be no ulterior motives in the leadership of our church. There should be no manipulation on either side. There are churches where someone gives a $10,000 donation and they say, I'm giving this donation and you have to use it this way. And what they've decided is that they are the leader of the church and they're going to determine the direction of the church because they have more money than other people have. That's manipulation. Forget about it. It doesn't work. We're not to manipulate one another. We're to be sincere. We're to be simple in our heart. There's no striving for the chief seat. There should be, if you want to talk about competition in our church, competition in our church, we should be competing for who can be more humble. You want good competition? We should be competing for who can be more humble. I got you a coffee last week. I'm going to beat you to it this week. But don't take pride in your humility. (laughs) Steph, I'm just saying. Perseverance, and we'll end almost here. They continued steadfast. They faced persecution like we haven't seen yet. Oh, they call me a bad name. Oh, honey, did they chop your head off? It felt like it. You're not being persecuted. Not yet. It may be coming. There's a story of ancient Rome where a family was told that they must recant. This is in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. They must recant their belief in Jesus Christ and worship the emperor of Rome. They would not do it. And they killed the daughter, put her head in a basket, and sent the mother home with the head of her daughter. That's persecution. That's persecution. In England, during the Inquisition and the Catholic Church's persecution of pretty much anyone who wasn't Catholic, they burned a man at the stake. You know why? Because he had the audacity to stand behind a pulpit when the church wasn't open and look at the Bible for himself. And then he was on the lamb, on the run, They finally caught him, and his family was crying as they watched him being dragged away to the stake. And he encouraged his family, don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Weep for these who are doing this to me. Perseverance, continuing steadfast, persistent in our support, our attention, and our submission to the word of the living God. Our our worship, our witness, our fellowship, and our generosity. We must be consistent and we must persevere in preaching the gospel, especially when it's not welcome. So, my challenge to you. How many of you come to church on Sunday morning and fulfill your religious obligation and that's it? In the door, out the door, no connection to anybody else during the week, no connection while you're here. You just come in, you come out. You're just coming to church. 
You're just doing the church thing. That's not church. You're coming to an event. So we shouldn't just come to church. We shouldn't just do church. We should be the church. Engaged, invested, caring for, loving, worshiping together. Taking the keys of the kingdom to encourage others to come in so they can know Jesus and become part of this awesome church. These are the marks of a healthy church. So my challenge for you is don't just come to church. Be the church and press on and press in. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. Thank you.